You may not know it, but you are a leader whether you like it or not, whether you chose it or not, whether you know it or not. And the reason that is is because leadership is really influence and every single one of us has some kind of influence on someone. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at a man named Nehemiah, which is good. You might be thinking, hey, I have no idea who Nehemiah is. That's great. Makes me look smart. And two, Nehemiah is unique because Nehemiah is a believer who happens to be a leader and not the other way around. So let me get a little a bit of history to kind of get you up to speed. So we're going to be talking in kind of centuries and millennia. So 2,000 years before Jesus is Abraham, and then Jesus is about zero, and then 1,000 years before Jesus is Adam. I mean, Adam, David, there we go. So we have uh, Abraham, then we have David, and then we have Jesus. In between this time, we've got to go through fast history. Abraham has a son Isaac, Isaac has a son Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, and they go to inherit the land of Israel not before they're in Egypt for 400 years, okay? Now, these are different people, descendants moving all the way down the line. And through Moses, they go to enter the promised land. That's Israel. They don't go. They go in through Joshua, and they have you know, the time of the judges, the dark ages, and all these other things. But then they get their first king named Saul. He's a dud. Then they have King David, 1,000. And David has a son named Solomon. But under Solomon's sons, Rehoboam, the whole kingdom divides. So the 10 tribes in the north rebel and they say civil war. We can imagine that as Americans. Civil war, they say, we're done with you. And so they stick around, but because of their 20 bad kings, the Lord sends judgment through Assyria from a map. If you're looking at me, it would come down from this way. About 150 years later, God sends similar judgment from Babylon over to the southern tribes. And you're sticking with me, so way to go. And that includes like uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the guys in the fiery furnace. Well, eventually the Babylonians get overtaken by the Persians. So there's a new regime in town that has a new plan. Rather than take all the money and the gold and the, the temple artifacts, they have a new plan that says, we're willing to send them back. And so under this plan, there's a guy named Nehemiah who's a cupbearer, kind of an advisor and uh, the last guy to give food to the king. He is right next to the king. He's Jewish. And he hears, like, what is happening in Jerusalem? This is what he says. Those who survive the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard this, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he, he is distraught and he feels this empathy for his people. That's leadership trait number one. And he says, I want to do something about it. And so he prays to God, God, you are almighty. You're amazing. He recognizes his own sinfulness before the people and before God. But then he says, God, I need your help. Give me blessing when I go to talk to this king. And so I think what we're seeing is two character traits that I think make sense to us. Number one, you have empathy for the people that you have influence with. You understand their situation. And number two, you take responsibility. And of all people on this planet, who does that better than our Savior? When he was on this earth, he weeps with uh, over Lazarus, and he, he, his heart goes out to heal those who are sick. All of these things happen, but ultimately, probably the biggest thing, he takes responsibility. He doesn't look down from heaven and say, like, deal with your own problems. Instead, he comes here to deal with our problems. So he dies for you. He lives for you. He rises again for you. So he is the truest of leaders. So before you can lead anybody, you have to lead yourself. Before you can lead yourself, you have to lead yourself in Christ, our amazing leader. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
Quite simply, make us the leaders you've set us out to be. Have our hearts go out to the people that we have influence over and use this opportunity to be Christ-like, servant-minded leaders who do everything we can to let your glory shine. We ask this in your name. Amen. Who is the worst boss you have ever had? Now, maybe you're super sanctified and you're like, I can't picture anybody. Go ahead, ride your unicorn off in the sunset and eat all the carbs you want. But the rest of us who live in reality pictured somebody. And why is that? Because people can be difficult. People can be fickle and they can be uh, off the deep end, it seems like. And they can be, you don't know which version of the coach you're going to get. You don't know which version of the teacher you're going to get. And sometimes they're patient and sometimes they're not. These are difficult situations. Even from history, Eric XIV of Norway would kill people if they laughed in his presence. Now, I'm guessing your boss isn't quite that bad, but I think most of us have dealt with someone who's fickle. We've dealt with someone who's maybe alcoholic. We've dealt with someone who you can't quite do enough and they're always moving the bar and it's so frustrating. Well, Nehemiah is an example in the Bible who had to deal with a difficult boss. And how do we know this? At least this is my perception. How do we know this? We know this because of this. When he prays, and the last time we talked, he prays, Dear Lord, bless my efforts with this boss. I'm going to go talk to him about going to Jerusalem to rebuild these walls. That was in the month of roughly December. And listen to what it says. In the month of Nisan, now not the car, but if you understand uh, Jewish history, that's the same month as the Passover. Passover happens in the spring. This is roughly four months later, four months later, that he waits until he makes this ask. Does that make any sense? I think it does. Even with people that love you, you still look for moments, right? Dear honey, I want to go on a guy's trip. I look for a moment before I ask that question. Uh, Dear honey, I want to go with a ladies' night out. You look for a moment. Dear honey, uh, I want to buy a bass boat. And you look for moments. I want to go out with my friends, dad. And you wait for these moments at just the right time and you move in. And this is exactly what it seems like Nehemiah is doing. He's right next to the king for these four months. And finally, he gets opportunity. In the month of Nisan and the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, what does, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? And then it goes on. He makes this request and says what's going on. And he says, The king said to me, What is it you want? And then this is a key part. Then I prayed to the God in heaven. People above you can be really, really difficult. And there's a lot of ways to manipulate people. You can give people the silent treatment. You can, um, you can stave them off. You can be a jerk. You can be abusive. You can be manipulative. But you know what? The only thing that changes hearts is the God in heaven who made them. So rather than all these manipulation, when you look to lead up the chain of command, how about putting it in the hands of the God who made that person and bring it to God in prayer? Let's do that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, help us recognize that you have put before us opportunities to be leaders, and sometimes that means leading and influencing the people above us. We ask that you can change hearts, not just to make our situation easier, but that they can be better leaders, that they can model their leadership after uh, not Nehemiah who left his home, but the greatest leader of all time who left his home in heaven. He left a place of privilege in order to come to this earth to fix what we have going on without complaint. Help us model ourselves under Jesus, Uh, in the freedom of knowing that we are forgiven in him. We ask this in your name. Amen. Has your life changed recently? Let's talk about it. When you talk about leadership, 
that is change. Change and leadership go together. It would be fantastic as a leader if you could just do the same things again and again and get fantastic results. But the reality is our world is changing, people are changing, we are changing. So constantly part of the stress of being a leader is assessing a situation and saying like, how do I move forward? We got an example of that in the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is um, getting ready. He has moved all the way from Susa, which is a months and months journey that he moved all the way to Israel. And when he gets there, he is um, looking at the city of Jerusalem and it is terrible. The walls are in destruction. They have not been functioning walls for 150 plus years. And so this is what it says. Chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, and then he goes on, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. But did you notice what happened right there? A couple things. First of all, he takes a minute. And this sounds kind of strange. I'm just reading a book. I just finished a book called Digital Minimalism. There, I, I could, couldn't say minimalism forever. So Digital Minimalism. And in this book, it talks about the necessity of solitude. It's the same guy who writes the book, uh, Deep Work. And it gets kind of down to this point. Our best thinking and our best time is not kind of the shallow work, but is when we take time in, by ourselves oftentimes to get deep down into what we're wrestling with. Nehemiah takes three days. Three days, and, and knowing Nehemiah, what do you think he's doing during these three days? Given that as soon as he heard the bad news about Jerusalem, he wept, he fasted, and prayed. Given that as soon as his leader, King Artaxerxes, asked him, what do you want? He said a prayer. I'm guessing he's spending this time with God saying, dear Lord, what do I do next? Maybe I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I don't even know the next steps. Can you give me some clarity on what would this look like? Because I used to be a cupbearer. Now I'm going to go build all these walls and lead these people. And so he takes this moment with God so God can fill him up so that he can make his next step. The next step, though, when you face something overwhelming is not just I'm going to pray and jump into it. It says he traveled around at night checking out all of the walls. It's much more extensive in, in the Bible. So it's much more extensive that he looks at every single situation. So what is that saying? Number one, take time with God. Number two, be realistic about the actual thing you're going to face. So what does this shake down for you? Before you get into something and you're a little worried about the next step because it's changed and you don't know what to do next, before you step forward, take time with God Assess what that situation is. What is my life like now that I'm retired? Now that I'm a dad? Now that I'm a mom? Now that I'm a grandma? Now that I've got a job or I lost a job? Now that I have a promotion? Take that moment and say, God, what would this look like? At the end of Nehemiah's speech to this group of guys who are going to build this wall, this, these families, he says, we have to do this so that we are no longer a disgrace. And the implication is that these are God's chosen people and it is a disgrace to God that these walls are in ruins. Let's flip that question around and ask it a little more simply. Instead of saying, if I don't do this, it's going to be a disgrace, I'd ask this question. God, I'm coming to you. Give me answers. Number two, God, give me clarity about what reality is before me. And number three, God, what would giving you praise look like on this vacation or on this job or in this promotion? And if you have the answer to that, the next step is pretty clear. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you've made us all leaders whether we like it or not. Um, help us to use this time of influence to spend time to get closer and closer to you. Uh, a sense of solitude, even Jesus took solitude. But give us that sense that uh, we are understanding where you are from. Spend time in your scriptures so we can see a clear path, take a look at reality, and then figure out what does praising you and honoring you look like, just the same way that Jesus honored you as he went to the cross. We ask this in your name. Amen.
If you are a leader, you have for sure faced criticism. Some criticism, no big deal. And some though, why does it hit our heart? And do you ever wonder how could I bulletproof my heart from criticism? And I think we've got a way to do that. Just listen for a second. So we're talking about Nehemiah and Nehemiah and the people get motivated. They're going to rebuild these walls outside of Jerusalem. For 150 years, they've been useless. And now they're redoing all these walls. And so they're lining up and they're working and they're working. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. Dun, dun, dun. Then the enemies show up. And why are these guys enemies? Just imagine for a second, you own like a, like a pizza parlor. <laughs> like, cause a lot of people say pizza parlor, like pizza, pizza joint. What is pizza? What is it called? Like a pizza restaurant? A pizza establishment, okay? So there's a pizza establishment uh, and there's one that's dilapidated across the street and then there's yours. And then you, you have yours, it's doing okay. And then someone across the street says, hey, I'm gonna rebuild it. And they start rebuilding this pizza establishment and you start to get worried because that's revenue that's gonna leave. That's exactly what's happening. So if Jerusalem gets rebuilt, all these other na small nations and these other people are gonna lose money. And so they're concerned about that. So while they're working, listen closely to three things. They're going to talk about who they are as a people and make fun of that. They're going to offend their dreams and talk about that. And then they're going to kind of make fun of and get at what they've accomplished. And I think you'll find those are the same three things that affect us. So when Sambalat, that's his name, right? It sounds like a Pokemon character. But Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews about who they are. Listen, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Now, this is their dream. They had this dream of finishing the wall and sacrificing once again. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? And he starts making fun of like this dream that they had. Just imagine someone, you have your pizza establishment and, the, and they're making fun of you for your dream. He said, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? So then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building even a fox climbing up on it could break down their wall of stones. The, you know, the classic fox insult that comes. But really, what is it talking about? Who they are, these feeble Jews, their dreams of having a temple in a, a safe city again, and also what they have accomplished, how small the walls were. And you say, like, why is it that some, how do we bulletproof our heart from this? And I think it kind of looks like this. I can imagine this works. Um, it's like your heart. And the insults that hurt us the most is when we open our heart up and we tell someone else our dream. We tell someone else what uh, we want to do. We tell someone else what really makes us tick. And when people discover that, those insults can shoot right to our heart and utterly destroy us and send us down kind of like this swirling uh, depression and frustration and self-loathing. Is there a way to fix that? I think there is. Instead of opening our heart up to the world and what it thinks, what happens if we open up our heart to what God thinks? And when you look very closely to what God says about you, he says, the person you are is in me. You're my own child. That's established. When he talks about what you accomplished, you are not your work. You're not how much you get done in a day. God said, you are what Christ has already accomplished in you. And when he talks about the things that make you tick and the things that make you worry, and he looks at you and says, what is your dream? The dream isn't what happens in this world. Our dream is to be with God and that's already been established in Christ, which in a sense closes up our heart and keeps us bulletproof from all these innocent and, and these non-innocent criticisms that are gonna come our way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, let's be like Nehemiah. When he faced criticism, he prayed. And he prayed so that he could open his heart to the truths that you tell us, the truths that we are your child, that you have established us in your glory. And we're just waiting till we're heaven with you again. 
What we do in this earth does not define us. Instead, uh, who we are in you defines us. Help us be that kind of leader as we lead the people we have. Amen. Why don't you come here and say that? We're going to be facing layoffs. If you don't change your ways, you're going to flunk school. What do we call all these things? These are basically threats. And threats are statements made to invoke fear to get a result. Now, this happens in different ways. And if you're sure you've worked with leaders, and sometimes even as a leader, every one of us has used threats in some way to invoke fear to get a specific result. But is that the best way to do things? Let's listen to the situation that Nehemiah has, and we're going to see like just in everyday life does this transfer. Let me give you an example before we get to Nehemiah, though. My daughter plays lacrosse, and she's a pretty good player. I think she's solid. I never tell her this, but as I watch the game, she plays defense, and she's going, and she's going, and she's going. And if she makes any kind of mistake, almost inevitably, her coach takes her out of the game. That's leading by fear. And what happens when you lead by fear is you kind of suck the joy out of playing. And so this is what they're trying to do. The enemies remember Sambalat, and uh, they're, they're coming out, they're giving them insults. Well, it goes beyond the insults, and now they say, we are going to kill you if you keep building this wall. And the people are getting a little bit nervous, and they're getting more and more worried. And this is what it says physically is happening to him. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. My guess is that this is not physical exhaustion. It, just the idea that there's a threat behind you. You ever drive in snow and you go 10 miles and you're exhausted maybe, or maybe you go an hour and you're exhausted. Why? Because it's not just the difficulty of it. It's the tenseness of it. It's the worry, the emotional weight that goes with it. This is what is happening to the people. So what's Nehemiah's solution? Nehemiah says to the people, here's what we're going to do. Half of you are going to work and half of you are going to hold a, like a, sh- a shield and a spear to protect the other half. Well, we never hear again that the people are exhausted. And crazily enough, with half the workers, the work continues. Because why? Because they're not working in fear anymore. If you remember, Nehemiah was a believer who happened to be a leader. And I hope that's a description that God could make of you. You are a believer and happen to be a leader. And I want you to use this time to think of all people, believers understand something very clearly. Fear is not the way that you motivate. Fear is not the way that you change lives. Instead, you know the freedom that we have in Christ. Christ has accomplished your forgiveness. Christ has gone to the cross so that you know who you are. You have an identity in him. And you don't have to worry about the devil's threats. You don't have to worry about death because those have all been conquered in Jesus. So go be the leader that God has called you to be. Live in grace, lead in grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at the life of Nehemiah, just a part of his life, and we are amazed at the way that he lived his faith, he walked his faith. We pray that we are those types of people. We not might not be the, the CEOs of companies or CFOs, but instead there are people in our lives that you have given to us that we can have some influence. Don't let us use that to promote fear and threats, but instead let us show and demonstrate the freedom we have in Christ as we lead with grace and we lead in freedom. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. And we'd love for this podcast to be a blessing to you in the days to come. So if you could share this podcast, subscribe so that every episode ends up in your feed, or just leave us a review, we would love more and more people to hear this message so that their lives can be surrounded and blessed by the grace of God. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.